I think, I think it's safe to say that we have got enough hockey to talk about to go through an entire podcast without talking about any viruses. That is our plan. That is our mission over the next hour or so. Myself and Dallas Stars fan Matt Day are here for NHL fans from afar. We are going to bring you a jam-packed episode full of hockey chat. Hockey chat? Do you remember that? Do you remember when, when we just get to talk about the sport as opposed to all the things that go on around it and the protocols and things like that? It's going to be fun because there is so much stuff. Now, some of these things are a little bit strange. We've got some, well, I can't quite believe I'm going to say this. We've got some biting. Uh, we've got some GMs who are no longer GMs. We've got some returns off injury list of big names for, for players coming up. And we've also had a couple of players who are now gracing the American Hockey League, who perhaps you wouldn't have expected to at the start of the season. We're going to be talking about that. Plus, of course, we might mention the fact that both myself and Matt are glowing in the fact that our NHL teams are currently on very nice hot streaks. Welcome along, Matt. I thought I'd uh, introduce you to the podcast with a lovely little fact that was served up to me on the uh, wonderful site twitter.com today, uh, which was Milestone Alert, tweeted the NHL Coaches Association. Why I follow them, I have no idea. Didn't think I did, but turns out I do. Uh, Tonight, your favourite, Rick Bonus will coach his 2,500th regular season game, the most in NHL history. Congrats on an incredible accomplishment, Coach. Go on the uh, NHL Coaches Association. Matt, uh, your your tribute to, to Rick Bonus on this uh, historic night. Um, how many of those 2,000 <laughs> has he actually won? Details. Uh, I Details. thought you were going to bring me in on a high and, you know, you bring up it, Rick Bonus. It's a milestone away. alert, according to NHL Coaches Association. I mean, congratulations to him for coaching so many games, but... I'd prefer if he won, he won a few more and played some nicer hockey, but hey, <laughs> you can't have everything. You can't have everything. You can't have everything. So Matt's stars are on a nice little run. We'll talk about that. I'll try and mention uh, maybe if we have time that the Leafs are looking like potentially Stanley Cup winners on, in the making, because of course, uh, Matt reminded me in there as we were chatting through uh, earlier on about how we're getting a little bit of deja vu around this kind of time of the year that we've talked about the Leafs being uh, top of the standings and how that ended in previous years and um, but let's start with another Canadian team and that is the Montreal Canadiens it's been an absolutely insane kind of nine months for the Canadiens just to kind of loop back so this is this is one of hockey's biggest teams this is one of the this is one of the biggest most supported franchises they are such a passionate market there in Montreal and they have had the most <laughs> roller coaster type nine months that you could imagine. Because if we go all the way back, remember this was the team that scraped in to the Standing Cup playoffs last season. Scraped in. And as we all very well remember, some of us more than others, um, they they were the underdogs going into round one uh, against the the uh, the old Leafs, which 
really in round one, you should never be underdogs against the Leafs because surely you're favourites because it's the first round, it's the Leafs. You no? got in there before I did. Yeah, thank you. I, I could see yourself <laughs> unmuting, ready to go. And so they get past the Leafs in an incredible seven-game series that everyone enjoyed, didn't they? And then they go on this incredible run where every single stage and every single round, they are the underdogs. And yet they, they turn over Winnipeg. Not only do they turn over Winnipeg, they sweep them. They sweep them to one side. And then they go on and then they go on and they get all the way to the Stanley Cup. And finally, they come up against a team that was able to beat them in Tampa. Amazing achievement. And then you would imagine that things would probably go quiet in Montreal after that. And perhaps, you know, um, the, the, the team would have to kind of regroup and try and work out how they were going to, to go one better, if that's even possible, um, for a team in Montreal's current state. And then there seemed to be just a different story every couple of weeks coming out of the Montreal Canadiens organisation. Starting off with the fact that they're, they're now former GM, plot spoiler, Mark Bergevin, um, is, his contract was up and essentially the negotiations didn't go too well over the summer. They drafted a very controversial first round pick in Logan Mayu. Um, again, Google that story. We talked about it on the podcast, I think, but Google that story if you want to kind of know more details about it. Um, but it was a very controversial pick at the time. Logan Mayu, a player who actually asked not to be drafted because he had um, personal things he was trying to sort out. And then they lost Philip Deneau, one of their top centres. They lost uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi in a offer sheet to the Carolina <laughs> Hurricanes. And Carey Price, you know, well, sadly in a way, but, you know, great that he was able to get some help and, and kind of... Um, help himself back to, to hockey was uh, in training camp and essentially took himself out of um, the, the game for a while and uh, kind of went into rehab of such. And so you lose your number one goaltender and your world-class goaltender. And then you also lose Shea Weber from that Stanley Cup run last year, your number one defenseman through injury. He's still not returned. So you're going into this season with a team that, is almost completely different and in complete almost turmoil and then chuck in the fact that you essentially stink for the first few months in terms of your performances i mean montreal have been terrible terrible in the atlantic division you look at it and apart from ottawa who are doing their level best to be worse but really when you look at the likes of buffalo and detroit they should not be propped up by montreal and so then we get to this stage where the GM is essentially gone. Now, Mark Bergevin has been the GM since 2012. So a long, long time. Canadian GMs don't tend to to and fro that much. And the way that it all panned out, and kudos to Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet for this one, but essentially he announced, um, as things were all kind of being sorted behind the scenes as to how the kind of the succession of Mark Bergevin would happen internally. He announced that um, they, the organization, Jeff Molson, the owner, was going to be speaking to Jeff Gorton, former NHL GM of the New York Rangers, about a kind of um, a vice presidency role. So uh, kind of one up from the GM. And this news got out. And supposedly that is how Mark Bergevin found out that this is what was happening. And then the following day, there were a bunch of sackings, resignations, all of this kind of stuff, a real big clear out. And so you've got this team who, Matt, essentially have gone from being 
a couple of games away from winning the Stanley Cup to now without half their team, GM gone and a complete gutting out of the entire system there. It is amazing how fast it has fallen apart. Yeah. But I suppose I suppose the, the trip to the Stanley Cup final was ahead of where everybody thought the Canadians probably were anyway. So they were they were probably uh, like you say, the underdogs in round one, they were in the playoffs, but you thought they were kind of building and maybe next year yeah. they'd, they'd go a, a couple of rounds in maybe. Um, so they, they were kind of ahead of, of schedule, but then it's all just fallen apart completely. And, you know, new vice president of hockey operations, Jeff Gordon, is talking about um, the potential of a rebuild and how he's not afraid of that word. Um and it, it feels like they they brought him in because he was so integral in the rebuild at New York. Um, you know, a lot of the work um, that seems to be paying off now yeah. for New York, they seem to, you know, they're having a good season so far, um, was done by Jeff Gorton in the years gone by. Um, okay, he left um, when they, they were no longer in the in the playoff race last year. And he got fired, kind of after the um, the Tom Wilson incident. Um, so, yeah, it seems like they're now headed for a rebuild, and they're focusing very much on the fact that you know they've picked forty five picks in the last five years, and they've got eleven picks um, in twenty twenty two, and saying how that's a good thing, and we've got you know we've got the the prospects and things. So. Yeah, it looks like there's uh, some bleak times ahead if it's not bleak already for, for Canadians fans. And bear in mind as well, Canadians host the 2022 NHL draft <laughs> yeah. as well. So, I mean, no pressure on that new GM coming in who's uh, got to then make that potentially, the way things are going, first overall pick, or at least they'll have a chance at it. I was just trying to think, like, I mean, I'm a Leafs fan, of, as you know, and, and I mean, I, I love to see uh, teams like Montreal struggle, but I... I I really don't know how I would feel as, as a fan base because is it better as a fan of Montreal to have these have the kind of ups and downs? Because there's no, you know, there's no taking away what an incredible fairy tale run they had last season. But in a in a way, because of those highs, these lows are almost, I don't know, they're they're more coming out of the blue. I mean, I can kind of sympathise with it because obviously the stars had uh, quite a, not as unexpected, but a run to the Stanley Cup final the year before in the bubble, and yeah, true. the following season was pretty much a, a disaster due to lots of lots of factors. But um, so, yeah, I can kind of understand how low they would be feeling now because it was. You know, coming off the back of a Stanley Cup final and then having a terrible season, it, it was pretty pretty rough for the Stars fans last year. But for the Stars, um, though, I never felt that, you know, it, it never blew up. Like, I know no, they it, had a lot of factors it, and they had it, injuries it, and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But I never got the sense of, OK, they had a bad season, but they didn't lose their top two centres. They didn't lose all of the other thing. Their GM didn't get fired. It, it didn't never no, it felt never, as much as it never a disaster. Reached. It never reached that point of um, kind of no return and, and firings and, and, and things. And I think, yes, so this is obviously a lot worse, but I think 
I don't know. Rebuilds are one of those things, aren't they? They're going to happen. They happen at every club at some point, um, unless you're one of these teams that just somehow manages to stay at the yeah. top no matter what. Um, they're going to happen, and you have to go through them, and they're painful. But they're also kind of exciting because everybody mm. loves a young prospect coming through and, and you know, draft and, and develop, and, and that seems to be you know, the, the way forward, but... Do you think Montreal fans would have felt better that when they got to the Stanley Cup final and they lost in the way that they did and then they heard, uh, well, they didn't know about Price. Price was injured, actually, in over the off-season because also that was the other thing that happened, of course. Remember, they exposed him to Seattle, like, if, if we remember that as well. Um, yeah, I wonder now, knowing what we know about Price, whether they already knew that. And that was part it was of the a, reason. Because it was a kind of a mental health thing, I can't see how they would have done. And that wouldn't yeah. have been a reason to expose him. I get it almost with a True. with a physical injury, because of course you're going to be worried. But that, I think the kind of the the kind of um the issues that Price had were were very much a surprise to the organization, I think. Um bear in mind he was going into camp. But but you, it, would it not have been better looking at the the team? Shea Weber gone, Price hurt at the time. This was where he was actually kind of, you know, physically injured. Would it not have been better to look at this and gone, that was it. That was our go. Now we rebuild. Would that not feel better for a fan base to feel like this was being bad on purpose this year instead of this, my God, what a surprise. They are so bad considering where they got to. Because this feels like they're bad by accident. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether they're necessarily bad by accident. I think looking at their team, you, you're you kind of surprised that they're as bad as they are. There's still some very good players there. Um, but then if you, if most teams, if you, if you took the most teams, Shea Weber, whoever that is on whatever team, if you took Carrie Price, number one goaltender out of most teams, if you took the two top centres, I guess Kotkaniemi would count as that, but certainly Philip Deneau was their top line centre. You take all of them out, I mean, you're going to be at least not going to be able to replicate what you've got. And then the likes of Cole Caulfield and um, uh, Romanoff on on D and Norlinder, like those kind of players, they're still way off being able to shoulder the burden of the team. And so I just wonder whether the the issue here for Montreal was that they they tried to come back with well it wasn't even what they had before because it was just worse than what they had before yeah and they they didn't really it, it, I know they lost like so they lost a couple of centers and and they didn't really replace them I don't think no and somehow and this is where maybe it's it's kind of gone wrong they're still very tight to the cap yeah they are They've got they've got ten million spare, but that's just because they've got Weber and um, somebody else on LTIR. You know, yeah. other than that, even with centres going, they they're tight to the cap, and and but they don't. It doesn't feel like they replaced um, the players that they lost. You know, knowing that Weber's gone, it doesn't feel like um, that he's kind of been replaced with a big defensive signing um goaltending is a massive problem for them 
really. I mean, Jake Allen as a number one isn't really cutting it. Um, and they, they, they never really brought somebody in behind um, behind the fact that they knew Carey Price was not going to be available. So it kind of feels like they didn't really do anything. They didn't, they didn't necessarily make it a rebuild and, and trade some more people away to lower the cap and get some picks. And they didn't really sign anyone to replace the players they lost. They just kind of stayed where they were. And, and so in a way, it's not surprising what's happening to them, but it, it seems surprising because of where they were at the end of last season. Yeah, some real highs and lows there. Um, 16 losses this season out of 24 games for the Montreal Canadiens. I, th- I think only you, won your, six. your question was about how, how would the fans feel? And I think yeah, it's we're, we're obviously not in Canada, so it's, it's hard to know exactly. But I think Toronto and Montreal are both very difficult hockey markets. Um, it's very much a goldfish bowl. Yep. Um, you know, hockey is the main sport. The teams are the focus of the press, the news, TV, everything. Um, and and so it's a very tough environment to play hockey, but also coach, GM. You know, and at times Bergevin made decisions that we all, we all kind of scratched our heads at. Um, but can you imagine the scrutiny that he was getting yeah. from the press in Montreal. So yeah, the, I, I don't think the fans there would ever be happy. No. <laughs> you know, no, they won't no. be happy losing in a Stanley Cup final and they're not going to be happy with a rebuild. And and so it it's one of those um almost like a you know comparing it to football, like a Newcastle United kind of um environment. Big club. It's, well not necessarily a big club but that's what they say. Big, isn't it? big passionate fan base yeah. who believe they are better than they are. They probably are. Yeah. And, and you know the criticism is always there, um, and so it's hard for any any coaches, players, or anything to to sell. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they who they get as a GM and and what they decide to do. But I think yeah, the trade deadline will be interesting for them. Yeah, and uh, you know it gives it gives the Canadians essentially the you know they can write off this season now with those new kind of GM and and uh, Jeff Gordon coming in above him, and use it to as you say build up some draft picks and and see if they can move some players on. They've got quite a few players who you would imagine as as you say Matt around the trade deadline are going to be looking for um for another team to go and have a, a bit of a run with. Interesting times over at uh, Montreal. So. The other um, thing that's happened this week, which uh, caught my attention, was a couple of players clearing waivers. Now, waivers was one of those things that took me a while to kind of get my head around as it's not something that we have over here um, in any way. But just in case you're not aware, so so kind of um, when players who were on NHL deals or NHL contracts um, end up going down to their kind of reserve teams or their B teams, um, which are in the American Hockey League for the NHL. Each team have a, has a kind of associated um, American Hockey League team. And when you send a player down, as part of the, the collective bargaining agreement the players have, and to try and keep players in the NHL as opposed to them going down to the NHL, they essentially go on this thing called waivers, which means that I think for 24 hours or 12 hours or something like that, 
Um, essentially, a team has to declare that their player is on waivers with the view to um, sending them down to the American Hockey League. And then every single team then essentially gets the opportunity to take that player, just takes it. And if the player's on waivers and the team claims him, then he reports to that new team and stays in the NHL. If there's a draw <laughs> or if multiple teams go for it, I think it's worked out on like last year's kind of overall standings and the lowest team gets the player. Um, so really, it's a, it's a way of making sure that, that NHL players stay in the NHL. And what was interesting about this week is you had two very different cases, but two, you know, highly paid NHL players going on to waivers. And one of them was Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks. And the other one was Matt Murray of the Ottawa Senators. Now, we're not going to dwell too much on Evander Kane because there's so much to get into there. And we have talked about it previously on the podcast, but he has had all sorts of off ice issues this season and going back years. And um, he's kind of been assigned to their um, AHL franchise as a bit of a kind of rehab slot and who knows whether he's going to kind of come back into the NHL. You've got a lot of things to, to sort out off the ice. But I wanted to focus in on Matt Murray, the goaltender in Ottawa, because he was put on waivers. Both these players, actually, sorry if I didn't mention, cleared. So essentially no other teams decided to take him. And they're both now down in the AHL. Matt Murray's a really interesting one, though, because here you have a two-time Stanley Cup winning goaltender of formerly of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's only... 27 years old and he clears waivers i.e no other team wanted to take him for essentially free they would have had to pay his salary obviously and it's quite a lot but i mean a reaction to that one matt it just it 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 throws me back a little bit to kind of the way that mark andre flurry ironically former teammate of uh, matt murray was traded from vegas for for basically nothing and it's really interesting how goaltenders have this kind of such a key position. We talked about it, or you mentioned it with Montreal about how key goaltending is. They have this such incredibly weird position, yet vital position that entire franchises can rely on. And yet somebody like Matt Murray can go from winning the Stanley Cup twice to then being 27 and clearing waivers on the worst team in the NHL. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to believe, almost using the same line I used with Montreal, that he can get so bad so fast. You know, uh, his record this season, he's, he's played six and lost five and, um, you know, a 0.89 save percentage or something. It, it's not great. It's not pretty reading. Um, but you you got to wonder why he's he's playing so poorly okay he's not on a great team and i, I sometimes no. think goaltenders get kind of hung out to dry and and blamed for a lot of things um when the defense on a team is absolutely awful and and let's be honest ottawa's defense isn't isn't great um but his figures and his play has not been good enough um they obviously feel either they feel that he they were confident that he wouldn't, um, he would clear and, and he needs to go to the AHL to get some playing time and try and find himself again um, and then bring him back or they've given up on him completely. 
But um, my argument with that, though, is if it is playing time, which, you know, I can see why, why not just play him in the NHL? I, uh, suppose, what, I mean, you've not got anything to lose. Yeah, but I suppose this, you, you go to the AHL, the spotlight's taken off you slightly. You're playing in smaller arenas. Um, Unless you, you're worse. Well, yeah. But I suppose from, from the Ottawa's point of view, if he goes down and he's worse, then well, what if they haven't lost anything? You know, um, it's going to be difficult for them to trade him anyway because it's, it's a six million odd contract. So um, teams are, are going to struggle to take such a big salary on a goaltender usually. Um, so... Yeah, my worry it is, a, it is a weird one. A, my worry with sending him to the the AHL. I mean, there's an interesting knock-on effect that they talked about on um, 31, uh, 32 Thoughts was about how what does this also do to your young goaltenders in the system, your prospects in the AHL? Because essentially, it bumps everybody down because Matt Murray then comes in, assumes one of the AHL positions. You would imagine he's going to be playing a fair amount. You would think for the AHL, so that stops a starting slot for one of their younger goaltenders. And let's face it, the Ottawa Centre is not in win-now mode. So they're all all they should be doing really is looking to the future. So there's that kind of thing about it. But also, what happens if Matt Murray is bad in the AHL and doesn't do well? Because then essentially, you have got a $6 million goaltender for the next few years who no team is going to touch because he can't even cut it at the AHL. At least if he stays in the NHL, potentially teams might look at it and think, well, yeah, but he's on an awful team. So I, I was just looking actually at a quote from DJ Smith, the, the centre's head coach, and he was saying that, um, you know, they, they've not given up on him and this is about him getting his game back. Um, and it says it revolves around the fact that he's had a lot of injuries and there's nothing you can do about it with COVID. Um, so yeah. I wonder if he's suffering, if he's had COVID and he's suffering and he's had a lot of other injuries. Um, and he said he's missed a lot of time and he's been unable to get a rhythm. So he, they, they clearly are trying to get him down to the AHL to, to try and get some regular game time and get a rhythm going and find himself again. So, I mean, you'd like to hope that he would. Mm. Um I'm sure Sens fans hope that he, he would because at his, at his best, like you say, he's won two Stanley Cups. And I think the Sens were hoping that, you know, their young team could start to come good playing in front of a Matt Murray in, in net um, and that they would be a lot higher in the, the standings than they are at the moment. And given um, how much, you know, given how much the Sens pay, which is not much to players, then you know, handing a six point two five million dollar contract to a player of you know anywhere in the lineup is a big deal for the Sens. And what's interesting about this, I know, I know that you know it's it's not like they're a cap team, so it's not the kind of conversations we have about some other teams where they're like, well, they've got six point two five million burning burning in their cap kind of column because they're a team that kind of is around the cap floor anyway. But what does hit them hard with this contract? is that essentially, and also makes it harder to move as well if they wish to, is that the base salary, so essentially the money that Matt Murray makes this season, next season, and up to 2023, 2024, which is when the contract ends, is that the base salary goes up. So he's owed $6 million this year, he's owed $7 million next year, and he's owed $8 million the following year. 
And so for some teams who might be able to fit a $6 million potential iffy goaltender into their team, I'm looking at you, the likes of Arizona, Buffalo, teams like that, there's no way that they are going to take on a player who they are going to have to pay that much money. So the only real way for the Sens to move on from Matt Murray, if that's what they decide to do, is to probably retain a fair chunk of that salary and move him on that way. But it's going to be it's going to be hard. And you almost think that you almost think that it's worth surely the Sens trying to make something of Matt Murray. And maybe you're right, maybe this is exactly what he needs some time in the AHL to get his game back, get his groove back, and then he can come back in and get some wins for a team that really, you know, does need some. But it's such a it's such a bizarre contract that the Sens signed him to in a way because it was so unsens like to do, and you really felt like they were going for it with him and thinking this is the guy who's going to see us through the kind of the the end of our rebuild and going into a stage when actually they're probably going to try and start winning some games for real. Yeah, it's it's I I mean like I say you'd like to think that he can find his game, come back and, and yeah. you know, have a good a good rest of the season, build himself self up and, and Sens will be looking to be a lot better next year. Um, they've certainly got a lot of young prospects with all the draft picks that they've had over the yeah. um the last few years. Um so yeah, they'll they'll certainly be looking to try and try and build in front of him if they can get him confident and, and playing well again. Yeah. Really interesting, Senators, because I know looking at the Atlantic Division is it's kind of a weird one, really, this year, because it's not panned out how many people thought in terms of Ottawa being bad is not a surprise, but nobody really had them down as being this bad because they were on quite a nice little run um, in the back half of last season. And you would have expected them with the with the type of players and the age profile of their players to have taken a step Um forward really not backward although goaltending has been an issue as we've talked about you've obviously got Montreal down there which although people expected maybe a a step back from last season probably didn't expect them to be right down there you know with Buffalo above them and then Boston as well is another one who's kind of really been struggling this year by their standards anyway Um, a good five points already off that third place in Tampa with Detroit up there in fourth, as we all expected, Detroit. Um, I, I've been quietly impressed with Detroit, to be honest. Yeah. Quite quite a, a fun team to watch. They've had some some very high-scoring games. I think they obviously want their defence to be a bit, little bit better. But, yeah, I, I think Detroit, they've got a, some good young prospects in there playing this year that I think, you know, could they spring a surprise and get in the playoffs probably a year sooner than maybe they would have expected? especially with, with Montreal being so bad. What's interesting um, with Detroit is, of course, you've got the, you know, the GM there, Steve Eisenman, was the GM for Tampa Bay for many, many years and essentially built the team that then went on to win back-to-back Stanley Cups and is having all the success this ha- they're having now. And, um, you know, I mean, he... <laughs> he is he's the architect of what is going on in Tampa, even though that he doesn't have any of the the rings or anything like that to, to show for it. But what he's doing then now in Detroit in his kind of hometown is probably going to be very similar. And you would imagine with the blank sheet that he had there, they could be a really good team again in not too many years. I mean, you've got to give a shout out to Buffalo as well, you know, <laughs> starting the season so well, 
with all the Jack Eichel stuff going on as well. And, and you know, since they traded Jack Eichel, they've been terrible. <laughs> it's like... But wasn't that just that they had a, like a weird bump at the beginning where everybody just thought they were going to be so, like, so bad? And that that was probably galvanizing for a bit, wasn't it? That they were probably able to play on the underdog card and, and all that. And then that, that must, that wears out. That, there's yeah. no way you can keep that going for an 82 game season. Like, no. but no, you're right. Like it is brutal and goaltending's their thing. I mean, they have got brutal goaltending numbers and them and Arizona both have really, really struggled um, with their goaltending. And, you know, you could argue that maybe that's on purpose, but um, that's one sure way to make sure you're down near the uh, the top of the draft lottery odds is to make sure you don't have very good goaltending in the NHL. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very interesting division, the Atlantic, for that for that reason. And you know, at the top, there's not much of a surprise in terms of Florida being very good this year, Tampa being very good, Toronto, of course, great regular season team, as we know, um, just giving us all that hope and everything to dash our dreams in the in the playoffs. Um, but one of the other stories that I wanted to talk about, and this is an odd one. Now, hockey's a tough game, and there are many aspects of, the, of it where I look at it and think, I'm pretty glad that I'm not an NHL or even a hockey player, because the stuff that they put themselves through and the physicality of the game and the way that these players put their bodies on the line is just next level I you know I always think they're right up there in terms of kind of athletes in, in what they do but there's a couple of things that seem to really uh really get to and really kick up a storm um in the world of hockey and one of them is biting now for <laughs> I don't think we're going to have a discussion unless you feel very differently, Matt. I, I, you know, you have a young child, so I imagine you've been bitten a few times over the last couple of weeks or so. I, I oh, imagine yeah. it's par for the course for you, uh, far more. I've got a new dog. Thankfully, he's over the biting thing now. So, so me and Matt are actually well-placed. We've, we've both been bitten regularly over the last uh, year or so. But um, <laughs> I, to, to very quickly summarise what happened... Um, was it Brady Kachuk? Yeah, it was Brady Kachuk. I was yep. getting the two of them mixed up. Brady Kachuk and Brendan Lemieux were playing in a game of the Sens versus the LA Kings, a complete non-rivalry. I mean, the LA Kings are kind of mediocre team in the West and the, the Sens, as we've talked about, a pretty naff team in the East. Um, uh, get into kind of like a a scrum and all of this kind of stuff and then start, you know, your old uh, a bit of fighting and all this kind of stuff and a pretty aggressive fight. Um, I think you'll agree. And uh, and then afterwards, it turns out that Brady Kachuk is saying that Brendan Lemieux bit him uh, and bit his hand. And not only just bit him, but really kind of like clamped down. And and it, obviously then it kicks up a, a storm and, and there's comments after the games from Brady Kachuk. And then also on the other side, Jonathan Quick, the LA uh, goaltender defending his teammate. And he's got a, Brendan Lemieux's got a hearing today. Um, I think it's today and we'll find out whether he gets any suspension for it but it's just such a bizarre kind of like of all the things you can do to to another hockey player and it be okay it's really odd that a player thinks i know what i'm going to do now i'm going to escalate this and i'm going to bite somebody like 
what goes through a, a hockey player's mind? It's like the red mist, isn't it? I mean, watching the clip, the two of them. Um, I mean, first of all, Lemieux comes at Kachuk from behind anyway. Um, and there's a bit of a wrestling match and there's not really many punches thrown until they're on the ground, yeah. which is the unwritten rule anyway, that you don't really throw punches when, when you're on the ground. And yeah. You've got the two linesmen trying to, um, trying to get them off each other. And it's hard to see exactly where the biting happens, but it, it looks like there's two moments where he, he does bite him. Um, I mean, Kachuk's saying straight away, he bit me, he bit me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what goes through um, their, their their minds when this happens. I mean, it's the same with spitting. It's like spitting and biting and the two things that um, are kind of breaking the, the hockey player's code of conduct. Um, and yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's what's so strange, isn't it? If, if, if Kachuk or Lemieux had turned around and just like sucker punched the guy in the face or need him, or even done something with their stick. Like, I don't even think there would be as much uproar as there is now over, over a bite. No, I mean, so, so this kind of goes back to the fact that their fathers have history as well. Yes. So, and, and it also isn't the first time that these two have fought each other. No. So the, there's, there's bad blood here going back you know, generations, not just, not just games. Um, so, I, don't, I mean, that's not that's not defending what Brendan Lemieux's done at all. Um, but the, did you see the quotes um, from Kachuk after the game? He absolutely went off on one. He um, he he said that Lemieux was a complete brickhead. Um, and he said, like, there's nothing up there. He's got nothing. He's a terrible hockey player. Nobody wants to play with him. He's a bad he's, guy, he kept saying. Yeah. Didn't he? he kept saying he's he, a bad guy. He said, even his teammates tell me that they don't want to play with him or something like that. And it's like, wow. You know, uh, there is I'm, there is obviously real hatred there, isn't there? Yeah. Like there's there's hockey hatred where, oh, you don't like the other guy or there's that kind of pantomime kind of villain stuff that, you see a lot in hockey, but those two guys obviously hate each other. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he finished and said, bad guy, bad player, what a joke he is. You know, it's like there was, there was no love lost. No. Um, I, so the, the fact that he's got a hearing means that it's likely six games or more. Yeah. Um, so, Do you think the NHL make a, make a bit of a stand on this? I mean, do you think they try and make a bit of an example? Because they could, they could just, they could just throw ten games at him, and then that would probably incentivize I think they, people. I think they have to. Do I think they have to do something like that. But then, when have we ever had confidence in the uh-huh. player safety to do anything that we think they should do? Yeah. Um, I think they do have to make an example of it. If they, if they think he's guilty and they're going to give him six games, they've probably got to give him at least ten. Because they've got to make an example that this is not acceptable. You know, the same with spitting, same with biting, not acceptable. Um, <laughs> but but, 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 but we've been fine. saying, but we've <laughs> been saying the same with um, hits to the head and, yeah, and yeah. things like that. You know, you've got to make an example of them, and they don't. Um, so, 
I just love if an alien came down from space and we had to explain to him the uh, explain to them the rules of ice hockey and what you can and can't do. It'd be one of the most bizarre like conversations ever. Right. Okay. So so you can you are allowed to fight somebody as long as you've got a willing combatant and um, you've got to take your gloves off. Yeah, you've got to take your gloves off. Yeah. Uh, you've both got to be willing to fight and then you fight, but then you do get penalised for it. So you're actually not allowed to do it, but you are allowed to do it. Um, and then if somebody falls to the ground, then you stop, you don't carry on. And if you carry on, then you get an extra penalty for that. And then if you bite, then no, that's not that's not allowed, but you can kind of get away with sucker punching people every now and again. Like it's the most weird kind of like game ever. When you, when you say it like that, it is bizarre that it think it's probably the only sport where you have to take your gloves off to fight. Yeah, yeah, if anything, like, people try and get and you put them on. Yeah, if you're going to have a fight, you put gloves on in most sports. Imagine um, that, two boxers walk up to the ring and they just drop the gloves. Yeah, drop just them. bare-fisted. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's yeah, really weird, it, isn't it? It is hard to explain to people that don't don't watch it, the, the whole fighting, the hitting, everything. But it, the physicality of it is what gives it the intensity. Yeah, it is. Especially when it comes playoff time. And, and I think... Well, can't speak for everybody but that's that's part of part of why i love the game is the intensity of it um and the fact that you can have probably 70 games out of the 82 are it that intense you've got that intensity yeah. there so regularly um throughout the season um yeah it makes it great to watch but but this is clearly going too far <laughs> Just, just going a little bit too far there, Brendan. A little bit too far. Um, right, Matt. Well, let's let's have a look over in the West. We've talked a lot about the East and we've talked a lot about um, the Atlantic Division, but let's let's go over to the West because we get a chance to have a chat to you about Dallas, who I know you've been obviously following, and it's been a bit of um, an odd kind of time over in the West because from looking at it, there are some. There are some teams who have really struggled, who perhaps maybe are turning in a bit of a corner or you would expect to, to kind of get going by it by the time they get to the playoffs. I'm thinking of, you know, Colorado have not had the, the greatest start to the season, but they seem to now be rolling quite nicely. Nathan McKinnon due back against Toronto on Wednesday night, which is just great news. Nazem Kadri on an absolute heater. I think he's like the fourth in goals or in scoring in the NHL at the moment like he's absolutely on fire in a contract year and then you've got some real surprises like Vegas being bad is a surprise but then I guess they've been absolutely hammered by injuries and you would expect that once those players start coming back they will start climbing up the the rankings but then you look at the kind of Pacific division Calgary doing really well I guess not a surprise, but a surprise because they've been pretty mediocre for so long that, you know, it's a surprise they they have taken a step this year. Um, but just take us through the West as you see it. You follow it obviously a lot closer than um, than I do. I think I think certainly the the central Minnesota and and Winnipeg got off to, to good starts, and Winnipeg have kind of been slowing down a bit a bit more recently. So. As as you mentioned, Colorado have started to pick up. Um, they were on a good a good winning streak. I think they had it up to five or six. Um, which got Seven, snapped. two, and one in their last ten. Yeah, and they, and their streak got snapped by Dallas. But I know Craig was saying to us that their winning streak. He wasn't quite sure what to make of it because it was against a lot of the the teams that aren't very good. Um, 
but I think I think Colorado, if they they're getting McKinnon back, get a few other players back. Uh, I think Bo Byram's back now. Um, they'll they'll come good and they'll start catching teams like Winnipeg. I think Minnesota is the interesting one. They they have started really well. They absolutely destroyed the Stars seven two. Um, that was that was just horrible to watch um, <laughs> against Minnesota of all teams. Um, and you know, and they're and they're they're top of the central. Um, can they stay there? It'll be interesting. Um, St. Louis had a, a slow start as well. Calgary, top of the Pacific, like you say, it is surprising how good they've been because I've just kind of got used to Calgary just being middle of the pack. Yeah, just just middle of the road. Nothing, yeah. nothing there. If they get in the playoffs, they're not. They go out the first round and they they usually just miss out on the playoffs. It's like they're just not. So I tell you, I tell you why Calgary can hold on. I tell you why Calgary are there. They do not give up goals. They have only given up forty three goals, which is incredible this season. And they've, I mean, they've scored seventy two, which is also, which isn't, you know, not actually that bad. Their goal differential is plus twenty nine. I mean, plus twenty nine goal difference. It's the best in the NHL. And their goaltending in Jakob Markstrom and I think it's Dan Vladar is their um, I think it's Dan um, yeah. is their backup have been just and uh, and the defense in front of them and Calgary were one of those teams that I always actually quite enjoyed watching the Leafs play Calgary when they did because like they they were always good for scoring goals on Calgary you always could and you knew they would score some back but you could always score on them. But the way that Calgary have just completely transformed, and I guess, you know, this is a lot down to their coach that came in last season, but they have completely changed the identity of that team. And they are now what what looks like a really horrible team to try and play against. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, fair play to them for trying to change that, that idea. Yeah. Um, Without a huge turnover in playing personnel either. Yeah. Because a lot of the talk was when, um, oh God, what, what's the name of the coach? What's his name? Uh, Daryl Sutter. Yeah, that's it. When Sutter came in, there was, there seemed to be a lot of talk in Calgary about, well, that's it. Johnny Goodrow out, Monaghan out, all of these kind of players out that had, you know, not necessarily performed so well over the, over the years. And then it's just, they haven't had huge turnover. And now, you know, Goudreau and the like are having really, really good seasons and playing really, really well and defensively are playing really, really well and playing a game that perhaps that, you know, Flames fans hadn't seen for quite a while from their players. I think um, the, the kind of signing like um, Blake Coleman was quite good for them yeah, as yeah, well yeah. because he, he's won the Stanley Cup now with, with Tampa twice. He is a very good two-way forward um and he he niggles at teams he, he he makes calgary a much different team to play against defensively because he'll he'll niggle away at you and, and wind you up um but he can also score some goals so i think he was quite a good a good pickup for them um and, also and shout home. out shout out to andrew mangiapani who by the oh, way has yeah. one of the best names <laughs> in the nhl i absolutely love the guy's name and he is on a oh, just an incredible season Manchipani and a real really kind of when you've got some big contracts and and 
the Flames don't have like massive contracts in terms of you don't have 10, 11 million dollar players, but they have a lot of five, six, seven million dollar contracts. And when you've got a lot of those, um, you really need some of those other players who are lower down in the lineup to outperform their deals. And Mangiapane is definitely outperforming his $2.425 million contract. Yeah, I, th- I agree. They're the kind of team that are built with that, without those superstar contracts and, mm-hmm. and kind of trying to build more with, with sort of consistency down the lineup. So, yeah, it hasn't necessarily worked for them in the years previous, but it seems to be working this year. They look really um, good, don't they? Edmonton have kind of dropped off a little bit from their kind of early season heater, but still um, right up there with with Calgary. They've played two less games than Calgary, and they're on 30, 30 points to Calgary's 31. So, again... I mean, Edmonton are going to make the playoffs because yeah. they've got Connor McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Uh, they, yeah. It's just they're going to get enough wins out of those two players alone. Um, the similarities between Edmonton and Toronto pains me to the end of the earth because <laughs> because essentially both Edmonton and Toronto season, it doesn't matter. They know they're going to get into the playoffs. Toronto potentially had well, well, definitely had a harder division and could have dropped further down the, the division and still been good and maybe got in via the wild cards. Let's say Boston, Tampa, all of them lot, Florida all play really well and Montreal didn't take such a big step back. I mean, Edmonton have got a division of dreams this season, especially with Vegas having such an early struggle. But it it must be hard for Edmonton fans, like Toronto fans, because really getting to the playoffs is kind of, well, yeah, so what? Now prove you can do it in the postseason. And McDavid and Dreisaitl, for all of their amazing regular season accolades, have yet to do it in the postseason. And the, yeah, the similarities are, uh, are remarkable. But they did only have one go, though, haven't they? McDavid's only no, been in the had... once. No, because they played in the bubble as well, didn't they? Because they lost in the first round of the COVID Cup. Oh yeah, but that wasn't the playoffs. That was that was. Was it a play Yeah. But didn't <laughs> they think... lose to someone really bad? Didn't they lose to Probably. someone in Chicago or something like I that? Think... I think they they've tried with a couple of signings like Hyman and and Duncan Keith to try and yeah try and bolster that team so it's not just about uh, McDavid and Drysaddle but inevitably it's because if you can stop them to scoring yeah. in a seven game series you you stand a chance of, of mm. winning games as as Winnipeg did um, yeah so yeah I mean they'll 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 be there. Um, Vegas, like you said, loads of injuries. Um, I think Mark Stone's back now. Yeah. Um, Marcia So's back, and I think um, Pacioretty's still out. Mm. So I think they've started to kind of pick up again, um, and and you just expect them to come good. They're um, fortunate, aren't they? That they're in a division where they could be pretty bad all season and still make the playoffs. Like, and then as long as they're fit by the playoffs, then. You know, yeah, and, and then there's like this bubble of teams, isn't there? Like Anaheim, San Jose and, and kind of LA who they, they've they had a maybe a better start than they were expecting, certainly Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that question of can they can they hold on? I mean, is it um, Terry for Anaheim has, has been absolutely 
scoring scoring left, right, and centre. And I, I don't think anybody expected yeah. no. expected him to be um, this good this soon. Um, so it's it's just one of those can can those teams kind of hold on to make that playoff run in the Pacific interesting. Um, just to give you an idea of the uh, the Vegas injury list, if you haven't been following them, just on um, injured reserve and long-term injury reserve, um, the Vegas Golden Knights currently have $22 million worth of salary sitting on both those lists. And, okay, some of that is Jack Eichel's $10 million that is currently sitting on long-term um, LTIR. But William Carlson is another one. They're one of their top-line centres. Um, Alex Martinez... Patrick Nolan. I mean, these are all big players. And as you say, they've only just got back or are getting back the likes of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, who uh, I don't think is even back yet either. So a really tough season for them so far. But fortunately for them, the uh, the division they're in probably lends themselves to uh, being able to get into the playoffs at a, at a limp. And as long as they're fit by the time the playoffs come round, they should be uh, laughing. My, um, I, think, I think they oh, usually say they usually say, don't they? Uh, if you're in a playoff spot at um, Thanksgiving, yeah, you uh, stand something like a seventy-five percent chance of of still being in it come the playoffs. And I think yeah. that's probably true most years. But looking at this year, there's it's really close. Yeah, you, I mean, I mean, certainly looking from like a Stars point of view, they've had a terrible start yet to two points off a playoff spot, one point off a playoff spot. Yeah. Um, same for Colorado. You know, they, they didn't have a great start due to all their injuries, but they're, they're in a playoff spot. It's, it's like, it is very close. And I think the next, um, the next sort of month or two, I think we'll have a much more bigger impact on who gets a playoff spot than, than the whole, the whole thing about if you're there at Thanksgiving. And Vegas are such a, you know, it's crazy to say, considering they're such a, a new franchise, but Vegas are such a kind of battle-hardened playoff team. Like, they've been there so many times that, I, you know, you imagine as long as they get in, then they, they could potentially have a run. And there is always those stories of those teams like Montreal, like St. Louis, that that kind of come from nowhere and then go on an incredible run and either make it to the final or even in St. Louis's case, go on and win the thing. And you know, if you're Vegas and you've got the likes of Jack Eichel potentially to come and join your team and all of this kind of stuff, as long as you're in the conversation around um, the time we get to kind of the new year and as we start approaching the playoffs, then it shouldn't be too bad. My um, my my little uh, wager that I put on Seattle to make the Stanley Cup final uh, in their first season is not looking too good. Um, that Don't was, think that'll be happening. Sorry, mate. That was a little uh, waste of uh, waste of some. <laughs> Hope you didn't put too much Sterling. on. <laughs> I, I I was looking at their team the other day after I'd done it and uh, I was hoping for a bit of Vegas effect, which was soon, soon shattered when uh, I saw who they drafted. And uh, I, I, they've definitely gone a different, a completely different route they have. To, to Vegas. And I think the Vegas thing is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because they've done quite a lot of trades. Yeah and traded quite a lot of picks away and prospects. And I'm not quite sure how deep their, their prospect pool is. I don't think they have one. Well, and so, and so once you run out of prospects to trade, what, what happens to their team in a few years time? Um, 
whereas Seattle are clearly going for the the, the long the longer term strategy yeah. of have a have an okay team we won't be bottom but we'll get some decent draft picks and we're going to we're going to build yeah um you know draft sadly my bet build, doesn't cover but... that though Matt they don't pay out for well yeah they've made some good choices did you make, you make that bet before the draft yeah of course I did yeah. oh. I wouldn't have made that bet after the draft would I I basically saw that watched the draft night and basically just kissed that money goodbye yeah with the next selection the Seattle <laughs> Kraken select player we've never heard of and then the following selection from Player we've never heard. Great. Okay. All right. I see what they're doing there. Sorry, you don't want James Van Riemsdyk, um, Carey Price. Uh, <laughs> you don't want all of those players who could come in, win now, and go for one more year and get me my winnings. No, no, no. You go for geeky and all these players. He'll be a good player, though. Oh, he will be a good player. He will be a good player. On a complete side note, I, uh, I um, sunk some cash into getting NHL whatever it is, 21, 22, um, on a Black Friday deal the other day. And uh, I decided that I was going to do a career mode. And I sat there and thought, well, here we go. Right, I'll go through, pick Toronto as always. And I thought, actually, no. Toronto is such a boring team to pick to play a career mode GM because essentially you've got nothing you can do because all your salary is all locked up. And all you can do is make little tiny moves here and there or, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. So I thought hell, let's go for it. Let's let's be the Seattle Kraken. And as part of the game, you get to do the draft and you get to do the expansion draft. And oh my God, it was fun. Like it, <laughs> it was so much fun. So essentially I got to do the draft as the Seattle Kraken. And I then afterwards have the off season where you can sign the UFAs and all this kind of stuff. I tell you what, forget whoever the GM is over there at Seattle HQ. They should have hired me. My team is so much better than theirs. <laughs> Do you want to know who my top line is? My top line in my NHL 22 game or whatever it is for the Seattle Kraken is Vincent Trocek as center. Then I've got Gabe Landeskog, who I picked from Colorado and then signed UFA seven years, uh, seven years, $8 million, I think. And Alexander Ovechkin. There you go. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's unrealistic. How did you get Ovechkin? Because he was a UFA in the summer. Yeah, but he would never in 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 real life. He was never going to. I think you'll find I did a very good deal with him. A very good deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very oh, pleased dear. with that. And also, I selected Carry Price. So Carry Price is my number. Who one. now? Uh, who obviously in the game is now not playing for you? Yeah, no, no. In the game, he's having a great start to the season. Yeah, yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. Vesna winning goaltender start of the season. Yeah, I mean it's not reality, but I tell you what, I reckon my squad's better. I mean that that game's not realistic unless, um, as a GM, you have to move post-it notes around a whiteboard. <laughs> having watched, having watched all or nothing with the Leafs. Yeah, um, yeah. My partner couldn't believe it when she came home one day and she just found post-its all over the living room wall and she's like, "Who's Yanni Gord? Like, oh, yeah. why is he? Why is he down there on the floor?" Well, sorry, he traded him. Traded him. Had to trade him. Who, make room for Vincent Trocheck. Who knew that the life of a GM was, you know five months of moving <laughs> post-it notes around a whiteboard i know i know kyle dubis we're we're kind of referring back to kyle dubis in his amazon documentary where kyle dubis essentially is it, it, you know, one of the most kind of um cash uh, rich kind of nhl franchises and one of the bit, biggest sporting franchises in the world 
essentially is run on post-it notes and each player is a post-it note and is moved around a whiteboard and i mean i'm, um, I'm being unfair to him because they weren't actually post-it notes they were slightly were larger than that nice but, laminated kind of yeah. you know nice ones but even so i still can't believe that office that's the other thing it was one of the worst offices that uh, if you're a gm of the leafs man surely you'd want a bit of a better office oh, it seemed a bit pokey it did seem a bit pokey for the gm of the leafs anyway keep his feet on the ground he's proven nothing yet bring on the offseason. <laughs> anything else do you want to particularly talk about this week it's been very uh, refreshing talking about some actual hockey as opposed to all the other crap that goes on um around the place but um yeah, there's some, a couple of other notes just uh, to kind of bring you up to speed with as well. So Nathan McKinnon back for the Colorado Avalanche. Looks like he's going to be playing against the Leafs on Wednesday. I've not really followed it as a storyline, but there's an interesting one in Boston with Jake DeBrusque. And he's requested a trade from the Bruins. And there seems to be some kind of things going on in, in, in Boston. They've not had a brilliant start by, by all accounts, they're kind of mid of, middle of the pack in the uh, in the Atlantic. Sorry, I'm reading an athletic article and saying the Atlantic, which is too much. And um, it sounds like, well, DeBrusque's agent has told uh, or told TSN that his client asked for a trade over the weekend um, after being a healthy scratch for the Bruins 3-2 win over Vancouver on Sunday. <clears throat> and this kind of started with a, you know, Bruce Casty, their coach was the Bruins coach, was not satisfied with DeBrusque's defense on uh, Panarin's winning goal in the in the Bruins loss to the Rangers previously. He's he's in the last of a two-year deal at 7.35 million, which is a lot for a Bruins contract. Just interesting when a player on a team that has had so little drama in terms of player uh, turnover and moves like Boston has had over the last few years, interesting when these start to happen, because you just wonder whether it might be potentially the, the beginning of the end of, of this kind of, this particular group of the Boston Bruins. I try to say that without too much joy in my, uh, in my You're voice. just hoping that it is. <laughs> um, the, no. the thing we haven't talked about is um, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Say that again, sorry, I was having a little mini coffee fit while you said that. The thing we haven't spoken about is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, yeah. So um, tell me more about this, because I I, it, I struggle to understand what this means. Well, so they've been, it's been rumoured for a long time that um, a group called Fenway Sports Group are going to buy... Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think yesterday it was announced that a deal has been struck for something like 900 million or something um, that's going before the Board of Governors for approval. Um, and so this Fenway Sports Group um, already own a lot of other sports teams, including the Boston Red Sox, uh, Liverpool in the Premier League, yeah. Um, a NASCAR team, um, and its its owners John Henry, who Liverpool fans will will know well. Oh yeah. Um, and I think LeBron James is also also part of the the group. Um, so it's a notable kind of sports ownership group within um, the US and and over here in the Premier League. 
Um, so yeah, it's a new a new chapter. But in, interestingly, um, Mario Lemieux, um, so mm. father of Brendan that we were discussing earlier, is going to stay. Is that him? Is I it? think so, isn't it? I'm not sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Got that wrong now, but um, I'm just not sure whether he is the, or whether there was a different. Oh, it's Claude. It's Claude. It's Claude Lemieux. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, it probably is related um, in some way, but <laughs> they must be. Um, anyway, uh, Mario is staying as part of the leadership team. Right. Um. So he he was part owner with Ron Burkle. Yeah. Um. But they're both staying part of the leadership team, despite selling the pens. So. Yeah, it's it's a new ownership, new philosophy. They say you know all all the buzzwords come out, um, but keeping keeping those two as part of the team. So it'd be interesting to see what what changes actually actually happen. So the Penguins. I mean, uh, the only thing that I mean, I always find stories like this really hard to um, equate to, to real life because it's like nine hundred million dollars for a sports franchise and all this kind of stuff and and who owns all of this and how how can LeBron James own the Penguins? But anyway, but I guess what it does mean for fans uh, at our level looking at it is that there was talk over the pandemic that um, the Penguins would kind of start to become an under, under the cap team, like they wouldn't necessarily spend to the cap. And I, I guess a group like Fenway and the size and the financial clout that they're going to be bringing would mean that you know the penguins money concerns are going to be a, 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 a distant a distant memory i would imagine yeah i think i think what what every team is looking to do is to be sort of sustainable enough and make enough profit that they can spend to the cap yeah and then the owners obviously want extra profit on top of that yeah um at the end of the day they they're looking to make money mm. um and you're right. There were there was talk. Oh, we're not going to spend to the cap. So saying that you, they they have. Well, like, yeah. You you would like to think that that this means that they will, like you say, they're they're large. Um, they're, they're a backed company. So, mm. but I think I think they'll be they'll be looking to make other changes to try and make them a more a more profitable organisation. I think. Um, but it but it's interesting because you know attendance is down across the league with. The, the word we're trying to avoid talking about um so yeah it's interesting to see we probably won't know for another you know six to eight months how that has affected teams across the season and how much money they've lost on what they would usually have expected um and how that impacts kind of the the running of of the cap for each each team really I did read that they attempted Fenway Sports Group, uh, or they explored trying to buy um, MLSE, which is the holding company for the the Maple Leafs, Maple Leafs Sports and Entertainment, which would have been a huge acquisition um, given the the size of MLSE. Uh, so it gives you an idea of the kind of clout, the financial clout that this group um, has. Um, so yeah, whether you know Pittsburgh are going to be going through an interesting time because of course the the Crosby Malkin era isn't going to last forever, even though it seems that it's going to carry on for a bit longer. So they are at some point going to have to kind of rebuild in in some way or another, um, and yeah, certainly going to have the uh, the money to do it. Well, an interesting week ahead, I'm sure. There's a few things that we've talked about today that will very quickly go out of date uh, when. 
uh, Lemieux gets two games and uh, all of the Before we things. even post the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. DeBrusque decides that actually he just wants to stay a Bruin and, yep. just, you know, all of these kind of things. Uh, but it's been good fun. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, enjoy your hockey over those next few weeks. Um, uh, any kind of particular highlights for you on the Dallas calendar? Uh, no, just the whole of December. We've got one game against an Eastern Division team, I think, and everything else is Western Conference. So for us, uh, December is, is kind of the deciding month for us, I think. Oh, boy, already. So, yeah, it's going it's to, well. No pressure. You know, you, well, if you lose half of those games, you, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. So, yeah, you, we need to be winning quite, quite a lot. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Ah, very exciting. Well, I'm uh, really looking forward to the uh, the game tomorrow night, the um, the Colorado game. I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating with the Leafs on such good form and the Colorado Avalanche kind of pushing their way up and uh, it, the return of Nazem Kadri on the, the form that he is in. I'm sure we'll, uh, he'll come back to haunt Maple Leafs fans. And uh, yeah, well, I was just having a quick look at our December and um, yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? They'll they should win enough games to get to the playoffs. They've had a good start, but it all comes down to who they play in the first round and whether they can win. <laughs> that first round haunts you, doesn't and it? And it's so hard to the highs are, are not high. Like they're just so kind of like mediocre until that first round comes around. I don't know how you get excited about eighty-two regular season games. Do you know what? This year I've really struggled. Like, and as not uh, that's being serious. Like, even though. The Leafs are, are one of the best teams in the NHL currently. And I know that all of those caveats, but currently they are one of the best teams in the NHL. And I've really struggled and to, to kind of engage as much as I have done in previous years. And I find myself rooting for just the kind of, uh, for kind of individuals within the team, the likes of Jack Campbell and who, who, by the way, my God, is he a good goaltender and is he on incredible form? Like he's, He's unbelievable. He's the fact that Jack Campbell is playing so well is making up for the fact that Freddie Anderson is having such an amazing season in Carolina and Leafs fans aren't even talking about it because Campbell's so good. Um, but the likes of Jack Campbell, um, players like Michael Bunting, seeing them do well and those kind of underdog stories. I think those are what Leaf fans this year are really trying to, or at least are enjoying and enjoying that element of the regular season. And of course, the wins are nice. And of course, the fact that we're not uh, struggling for a playoff place is is a nice problem to have. But yeah, as you say, it's um, it's all going to come down to what happens in that first round, whoever it will be. You got a few months to prepare for it. Yeah. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. It's really going to uh, yeah tee up my spring. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks very much for listening and downloading. You can um, subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcast app you get it from. That would be fantastic. You can leave us a little review. You can also get in contact with us. We've got an email address, which is nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at nhlfansfromafar as well. Great, if you could jump on there and give us some... uh, give us some things that we should be talking about what stories in the nhl that you're interested in are you a fan over here in the uk or in other parts of the world away from north america um let us know what you're watching and what you care about in the nhl and we'll try and talk about it in a future week there'll be some combination of us here in a couple of weeks time and uh, we will speak to you then 